0: This is the podcast for September 7th, 2012. It's not safe for work.
1: Recorded live from deep inside the Mitt Romney Foreign Affairs time machine, it's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal.
0: Hey, everybody. Hey. you have been looking forward to this one, apparently, from my Facebook stream. I'm getting a lot of people saying, oh, we want an extra-long podcast this week.
1: Well, we'll talk very slowly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking, I, I I did say to Cousin Avi, who's one of our Facebook fans, that mm-hmm. he had a choice between a normal-sized podcast early in the afternoon and a long podcast later in the day. And actually, we lose audience when the later we post it. So mm-hmm. we like to get this
1: podcast out. Well, this one's going to be very short because to honor a request from last week, I'm going to not have a potty mouth, which means it will be about <laughs> About three your minutes post, long.
0: That post got a lot of response. Yeah.
1: Oh, and I want to tell the listeners and and other folks, uh, the, the people who uh, read my blog, thank you, thank you, thank you for your supportive emails. Thank yeah. you for a sudden an unexpected spate of um, contributions. Oh, that um, was
0: nice. Yeah. And people I, were contributing to your blog this week, which was yeah, very very nice. Which was yeah.
1: weird and surprising and delightful and, and and made me very happy and and shocked. But um, I have fallen woefully behind in writing my thank you, you notes. i have I've always
0: ba- fallen woefully behind in your thank you
1: notes. I, I, so. I batch them all together, scene. and I <laughs> well, I batch them together to do them all at once, because I think everyone who, who yeah. does that deserves a response, and I've just fallen behind. So my apologies. And
0: you are leaving I am. Sunday to go I am. get the dregs of your apartment or your condo.
1: Dregs? Well, dregs?
0: Dregs. You've yeah. got to get the stuff you haven't moved down yet.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a, a very truck. long Three so, days of yeah. loading Being and away
0: unloading away from yeah. your wife. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's a long trip, so. and it's 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 uh it's a milestone of of sorts. It's a good thing, but it also is a closing, a definitive closing of a chapter of my life. And uh, and you know, but when God closes one door, blue gal, he opens he opens every
0: other door in your life. Yeah. <laughs> we hope. I I mean, once the job mm-hmm. situation gets settled, you'll be set. You've oh, got I'll a be wife fine. and kids and. We're still looking for that job, but uh, condo is out of your hands. Let's just put it that way. That's a good thing.
1: uh, One of of my uh, longtime correspondents and pals and so forth um, from the internets uh, dropped me a note. Who's aware of my situation and knows what I used to do for a living? And, Mm -hmm. you know, all those other things that some of my pals, uh, face-to-face pals know. And, um, And her response was, you know, you really should be the perfect Mitt Romney voter. Yeah, you
0: actually should be.
1: I really should be. You're a white
0: guy, middle-aged, long-term unemployed. You should be the one that Romney gets immediately, except for the racist stuff.
1: Except for the whole racist thing. No, I'm a middle-aged white guy, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. well-educated, believe in a lot of sort of um, principles of Prudence that um, uh, the right alleges but never practices. You're in a
0: traditional and, family with school I, aged kids and absolutely. a wife. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, and I, I, uh, I, my,
1: I, I discovered I was going to be unemployed from my my last very full time job, which had which was working really hard at the time on things that Barack Obama is now working really hard on, which is incredibly ironic to me. I discovered that. By accident, because the consultant left the org chart in the photocopy machine, um, the week Barack Obama won his election, my last day on the job was 10 days after Barack Obama wow. gave his yeah. inaugural address, yeah. and I haven't had a full-time job since. So I should be, by all rights, I should be a Romney voter. And you should dwell on the fact, oh, conservative listeners, why am I not? Am I stupid? Am I uneducated? Do I not see the world correctly? Am I delusional? Or am I perceiving the world correctly and you have your head up your ass? and you know, well, I'm never going to.
0: One of the things that relates to that, there was a article, I thought of you, um, about the Department of Transportation. Mm-hmm. And the Department of Transportation is changing the rules for a couple of states, one of them being Alabama, and giving them an expiration date for spending their Department of Transportation dollars. And if they don't spend them, the Department of Transportation is going to take them back. Yep. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I'll bet Mm -hmm. that some of the departments that write up grants, that write up contracts, that do all kinds of things to get that money spent Mm -hmm. have been cut. To nothing. Oh. It, and so they can't spend that money. Even though there's a pot of money sp- sitting there that they have to spend, mm-hmm. there's nobody there to spend it.
1: Well, l- and let me tell you, this will literally take a minute, but it's, it's fascinating. And this is why... We're
0: going off topic here at the beginning. I know yeah. we, you want to talk about the convention, and we're going to I really get to do. that. Yeah.
1: I really do. There, There is um, there is a trick that the Bush administration used to use to try to cut funding for social programs that I'm, I'm very aware of. They, they would basically allocate a budget for two years. Um, and everybody who worked in this in this system, it, it sort of providing services along a lot of lines, knew that you had to make your money last. That in the second year, things would get weird and, and they would screw you and so forth. You had to be really prudent with your dollars. So they wouldn't spend all their money in the first year because they knew they were going to get shafted in the second year. So come the second year, what the Bush administration used to do was say, well, well since you haven't spent the money, you don't need it. So and try to take your it budget back.
0: again.
2: Yes.
1: And, yes. And they, I mean, the, the the degree to which they were relentlessly trying to fuck over the poor in the middle class, take away programs that, that worked and to um, or block grant them. That was a huge thing. Yeah. It was let's let's just give chunks of money to Republican governors. And let them spend the money they want. And if they want to spend them on the poor and middle class, if they don't, well, that's your fault for electing, you know, the wrong governor. Not our fault as a federal government. So, well, did
0: Scott Walker spend the homeowners bailout money on just balancing his budget? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. I'm not, I don't know yeah. if that's the pot he spent, but he spent money that was intended to help the poor in the middle homeowners, class. Homeowners. Homeowners. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. The homeowners' money. Yeah. So this is not exactly a new trick. And mm-hmm. and if you once you pop the hood on how the government works and, and look at all the ways, all the little on-the-ground policy ways that Republicans have used for 30 years to fuck over the poor people. Reagan put in charge of the Legal Services Corporation, which is lawyers for poor people. If you're getting screwed on your Social Security or you're having problems with your spouse, you know, or you've been kicked out of your house and need a lawyer, this is the organization, that tiny little organization, underfunded, that was designed to give poor people legal help. And Reagan kept putting the guy in charge of it, who said publicly, "I'm here to defund this organization. I don't want any funding for it. I want it to go away." And Congress had to keep interceding and forcing them to take money. That's how old this battle is. Yeah. Anyway, let's get on to the latest chapter. Hey,
0: convention. The, yeah, we had convention. a we had There was a convention this week. Yeah. And it was an aggressive convention. I yeah. was really impressed with how much punching back happened. Um, and I wanted to start with Dave Weigel.
2: Yeah. <laughs> who Why just
0: not? kind of floored me with his tweet about this convention being a repeat of 2004 actually both conventions being a repeat of 2004. Yeah. He said it's it's a repeat of 2004 the challenger remains nice and the incumbent goes for the groin.
1: Yeah. First of all,
0: and I said, you know, I wish Obama had gone for the groin when Joe Wilson said you lie. Yeah. This yeah. is going this is not in isolation. Neither one of these conventions is in total isolation where you can just say, oh, they were nice and these people are mean.
1: You know? well, I don't remember the part in the Democratic convention where they stood up and said 9-11, 9-11, 9-11, yeah, 9-11. Yeah, yeah. And if you vote for the wrong people, your opponent, you know, your children may die in a nuclear holocaust. Mm-hmm, yeah. I don't remember the part where they were waving um, Purple Heart Band-Aids, yeah, yeah. mocking John Kerry's yep. military service. Yep. But here's the problem with Dave Weigel, who does some good writing. Dave Weigel is 12 years old, so Dave Weigel doesn't literally doesn't remember anything before 2004. Anyway, so it's like talking to someone who analogizes, who only whose cultural memory only extends backwards three years. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Harlan Ellison does this experiment when he talks to college students about what's the earliest film you remember. Oh, wow. And what's the yeah. latest film I remember? And where's our touch point?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and he said, look, if you're a writer, and that's what really we're talking about, the convention are exercised in storytelling, yep. in writing, yep. in communicating with people in that oldest, oldest of human activities. He had a student who it was, it was a very nice young lady a few years ago who, who held up her hand and said, who's this Dachau person you keep talking about? And he said, Dachau, you know, Dachau. She goes, yeah, who is that? I don't know who that is. And he got this chill yeah. that this woman had no idea that there were concentration camps, yeah. that there were things called Nazis. And he said, as a writer, the problem is I'm constantly using tropes and metaphors and historical references. And, and the culture I work in, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing him here, keeps draining that memory away. And so they, and there's no memory of anything before Reagan. There's no memory well, of anything before there's no before
0: memory Bush. of George W. Bush at all, according to the RNC. Exactly. So, exactly. you know, he so didn't you can't,
1: exist. You're up again. And, and somebody pointed out that George W. Bush was mentioned more often in one speech at the DNC than the entire Republican convention. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, astonishing. But it's not a, but it's one of those things the press just shrugs their shoulders and say, well, you know, it's politics. It's just like 2004. No, it's not Dave Weigel. Yeah. No, it's really not. I know you can't remember anything before that, but it's really not. It's it's really a remarkable evolution in uh, a return to sort of old-school, stem-winding Harry Truman, yeah. hit him, and keep hitting him, um, speechifying, and testifying as to what you believe, being unashamed to be, what we always talk about, being unashamed to be a liberal being unashamed to be a Democrat.
0: I want to talk a little so, bit about watching the convention with Twitter, which yeah. was kind of a culture shock for me because it is really the first convention with Twitter. Yeah, And I felt last night particularly like I was watching the convention with the chorus from Puccini's Turandot on the <laughs> stage with Obama, with tweets coming in and reading Twitter while I was doing while we were watching the speech, and I kind of had to turn it off because that chatter was getting in the way of me sort of really understanding what Obama was saying, and I didn't Mm -hmm. want to have that interruption. But I wanted to talk with you about that and how, uh, whether Twitter, you think Twitter interferes with the experience or somehow magnifies or improves the experience of watching a convention like this.
1: Um I think it probably does a little of both. Mm-hmm. What it does, what it did for me. Mm-hmm. Since I'm I'm the guy who has to turn off the radio when I'm looking for a street to turn on, turn down because my brain mm-hmm. is just wired that way. I can focus on many things badly <laughs> or a few things really well, but I can't I can't cross circuit certain things. Um one of the things that it allowed me to do, which I could never do before, was run a parallel, almost video pop up track of what the Bright Barty and Wright was saying in real yeah, time. Yeah. How they were reacting to it in real time. And it, that was the part that really was new because it was happening right before your eyes. And now, was were just, you
0: watching a hashtag at that point? Because uh, no, I noticed. I think. Do you follow right wing people on Twitter?
1: Yes. Okay. I, See, that's I follow a few of them. Okay. I, I follow a sampling of them, and I, and I occasionally, <laughs> like Dana Loesch, I occasionally oh, yeah. give her my opinion, and she occasionally responds, and I occasionally respond back to her, and then she runs away you know, screaming mm-hmm. in fear.
0: Because you're so mean. Yes.
1: I'm so mean. Yes. Um, but I, I I sample them in, in the same way I sample editorial content. I, I watch in a, a skimming sampling kind of way, what the centrists are doing these days. I, I read David Brooks' column way too late last night and found, you know, the as I do, the razor in the apple. Um, because just how incredibly small and petty and mean and blind these people are, how absolutely gagging on their own hatred they are and how they can't get over it.
0: Well, and I noticed that this week, in a way that I haven't noticed it on Twitter before, which is liberals simply retweeting what conservatives say, just yeah. to, just to say here, look at Jennifer Rubin, yeah. and she was really the worst case this
1: week. She, she was bad. Well, Ann Coulter was bad. And Ann and Coulter was horrible. A couple horrible. of the Breitbart yeah. clones were bad, but Jennifer Rubin, just in terms of sheer um, raving insanity, on you know, as and again, I I don't I don't bother. With the scuttlefish, but I do take special interest in people who intersect with the legitimate media, whatever the hell that means anymore yeah. people who have a sinecure
0: yeah or a paying um, gig on the networks
1: yeah at a straight you know network job where they can reach twenty million <laughs> God-fearing Americans or they can reach uh, people who don't realize that the Washington Post is a shithole and read it because they think it's a real newspaper. Um, especially the, the New York Times, because the New York Times, as we've said a hundred times before, is read by people in the Chinese government. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's read by billions of people. And, and the, the opinions on the op-ed pages really are a reflection of what they think Americans are thinking about. What they think smart, um, urbane Americans are thinking about. And that's why I take a special interest in them, because it is our, It is that group in the middle, it's that centrist group in the middle who are too stupid or blind or bored or whatever to pay any attention to the world around them except for two weeks every four years that are going to decide this election. And they are going to turn to David Brooks, to The Washington Post and The New York Times to find out what both sides are talking about. So the framing of that argument is incredibly important to the outcome of, of every election and really every public policy discussion. One of the concerns
0: that I have about Twitter, though, is hmm. that um, you and I and and the people that we follow and the people that follow us uh, begin to talk to one another in a shortcut that I think gets us away from some of our goals in the podcast of giving people vocabulary, that we start talking in shortcuts to each other. Mm -hmm. We had an email from a good friend of the podcast this week actually asking us to explain who John Sununu and Peggy Noonan are. And it was a he's a smart yeah. guy. This is not somebody went, duh, you know, this is someone who said, look, I know a lot about politics, but mm-hmm. I i really need you to explain to me why John Sununu matters and why why have a Sununu week, yeah, which was sort of mm-hmm. yeah. before the conventions. We just needed something to do. So mm-hmm. making fun of Sununu was a good thing to occupy our time. It was um, and Peggy Noonan, you know, there's another one to talk about, and I'd love to hear from our listeners as to how much knowledge, uh, you know, if, if we're to, if we're missing something, if you hear something on the podcast and you go, wait a minute, what is that? Mm-hmm. If you have to Google something that we're talking about, let us know that. Our email address is proleftpodcast at gmail dot com. We both get that email, and it mm-hmm. is perfectly all right to go. Whoa folks, you know, you just talked over everybody's head with that one., yeah. and mm-hmm. we don't want to do that. We and we assume intelligent listeners, but we don't assume the intensity, mm-hmm. <laughs> the autistic mm-hmm. intensity toward politics as an obsessive interest that we both mm-hmm. have and live in our day-to-day conversation. This house is all about that all the time.
1: You know who said that even better than that, blue gal? Our son? Stanislaw Lem and an obscure <laughs> short story in nineteen thirty seven. Everybody
0: take a drink.
1: Take a drink, everybody take a drink. Well and there's there is a flip side to that argument uh-huh. that I think I think is worth representing. And I, I received an email and I promised the person on my honor that I would not read the email aloud or to talk about them personally, and right. I, I certainly okay. won't do that. Right. But it was from a conservative listener mm-hmm. who who was chiding us for not... You know, we we claim to be a, to, to the mantle of logic and facts, but we just assert things as if they were true. Yeah, we don't like, prove like, them or anything.
0: Yeah, Johnson Noon is an asshole. And, well, and I, then we move I, on and don't back Dick it up Cheney's, with
1: Well, no, this in this case it was Dick Cheney's an okay. asshole. All right. And my response was, first of all, this is not a footnoted college lecture. Mm-hmm. This is a conversation yeah. between two reasonably intelligent, sophisticated political, liberal consumers.
0: We're obsessed with politics and the are,
1: sphere. <laughs> Also, exactly, who are also writers and artists yeah. who are steeped in a certain level of, of information. And frankly, if you need after 30 fucking years, especially after the last 12 years, if you need to have it proved to you with geometric logic, then, you know, not to go all Captain Queeg on you, that, that Dick Cheney's an asshole, then, you, then you're beyond salvation.
0: OK, but because, I'm going to counter you with something on that one, though, Drip Glass. OK. Which is Bill Clinton's seminar. Yep. Wednesday night. Yep. He gave a seminar, and I knew everything that he was saying. I had background yep. on it. I'd read blog articles about everything he said.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But there is an audience for that of him yes, teaching us, teaching mm-hmm. everyone. Here's mm-hmm. what happens. Here's why this ad's a lie. Here's why this argument is wrong. And he went and, and as someone said after the speech, you know, yeah it went wrong, long, but why didn't he do another half hour on global warming? You yep. know, because we needed that piece too. And education and educating people and educating each other, and I learn every day from our listeners, I mean we get emails yep. that just blow our minds. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, there is a time to sit back and really review and talk about things and come and, and go over the landscape once again, where you can just sort of sit at the feet of the master and hear about politics, which yeah. is, you know, not to make Bill Clinton a Christ figure, but he knows so much and taught us all in one speech. Here's the lay of the land. So,
2: well, counter. I'm just to,
0: countering that to what you just said about yeah, you know.
1: And, and if you're you need to know all cop, this, really. Go ahead. I will. I will cop to being a less versatile communicator than Bill okay. Clinton. Okay. <laughs> I will totally cop to that. I do a fairly good imitation of him, but Bill Clinton is Bill Clinton, and he's really good at that. And what you saw, every and I'm proud of that. I think he is um, a masterful political communicator, and I think he takes an enormous amount of time and care crafting his speech and, and really getting his message down to the point where he can then riff on it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I saw him do that at a um, convention in Chicago in 2004, I think it was, 2005. Um, it was brilliant. I saw him do that. Uh, one of the first speeches he gave after he left office, I think, was to the British Labor Party. And it was brilliant. It was no notes or a couple of index cards, but he, was, he had steeped himself the point, but he, the point was, he knew what argument he was trying to make, and he knew what audience he was targeting. And he was so well-versed in the facts of it that he could improvise and, and riff and play jazz with it. Um, and I, I like to do some of that with this podcast, but uh, I would counter that. I don't think conservatives, a conservative who needs to be convinced that Dick Cheney is an asshole, are educable. I think those people. I, I agree that people who are undecided or people who are new to the political arena, um, our job should be somewhat educational. And to that extent, I would quote Winston Churchill, saying, "And this is sort of, um, <laughs> this is sort of, this is sort of How the." Clintonian of you! <laughs> yeah, well, what can I do? Um, uh, this is sort of contra the Ezra Klein liberal approach of, of of burying someone under statistics and charts and saying, "See, see, see." Mm-hmm. No, you have to tell a fucking story, man. I mean, it, it doesn't matter how many lovely pie charts you show with an arched eyebrow going, that proves it. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Stories get people who aren't wonks like you, not charts. And Churchill said, the first lesson that you must learn is that when I call for statistics about the rate of infant mortality, what I want is proof that fewer babies died when I was prime minister than when anyone else was prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> That is a political statistic, and what the art of political communication is that Bill Clinton is an absolute master at is blending statistics and facts and history, all the dry stuff, with a rich ability to weave it into a narrative, and we do this a little bit on the fly, we do it on Friday, we prep for a, a day or two, and we talk about what's on our minds. I think, again, people who need to be convinced Dick Cheney is an asshole are are a lost cause. And I'm not, I, 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 one of the, one of my resolutions is I'm not going to waste my time quote unquote debating Mm -hmm. with people who don't know what the fuck a debate means. Yeah. Yeah. It means facts and one side Mm -hmm. wins and one side loses. And when you're wrong, you admit you're wrong and you correct yourself, which is something that whoever's left in the conservative movement is congenitally unable to do. So why waste your time? I do agree that providing People who are a little bit newer to this or just getting interested in it with a political vocabulary and a little bit of a, a breadth of knowledge mm-hmm. that's, that's not threatening is an important part of what we do. And I, I will always fail at that. Well, and, and just but a I shout
0: think- out to our listeners to please let us know if there's something that you want more uh, in-depth conversation about or where we just talked mm-hmm. over some shorthand. You know, if yeah. we were just talking shorthand to one another and you didn't get what we were saying, let us know. We, we'd love but, to elucidate And one other, <laughs> one, other, one, of cranky,
1: <laughs> one other cranky old man contrarian point on this point, and then mm-hmm. we, should, we should move on, mm-hmm. which is every time I get another email from a conservative, from, you know, crazy Uncle Liberty, yeah. about Barack Obama building a secret prison in Peoria for his friends, a cushy secret prison for his friends, or those ARABs shutting down New York City, or whatever. There's a million of them, and they're all crazy, and they're all stupid. The point when I used to respond to them point for point was, I can disprove this. If you have email, that means you have a computer in front of you. Mm -hmm. If you are listening to our podcast or reading my blog, you have a computer in front of you, more than likely. On that computer is a search engine Mm -hmm. called Google, If you're really, really burning to know whether or not Barack Obama is building a secret prison in Peoria, type in is Barack Obama building a secret prison in Peoria and hit enter Enter. (laughs) and then click for 38 seconds. And you yourself can do the kind of research that apparently The Washington Post doesn't do anymore, but that your humble podcasters do attempt to do. So there is a certain level of engagement that I expect from people that dude, if you really don't know, if you're
0: still listening to this podcast, you have already have that level of engagement. So exactly, you know, you win. Um, I want to just talk for a minute about, um, the media becoming lobbyists in this situation where, and I'm talking specifically about Tom Friedman. I think last Sunday's meet the press, by the way, was just horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, But Jennifer Rubin is one of these. I mean, you said we might as well just tattoo APAC across her forehead. Uh, And yet she's a columnist for the Washington Post. Uh, Mrs. Greenspan, who's doing, you know, now lobbying for this grand bargain, as is Tom Friedman. Mm -hmm. Um, When the media becomes someone from the center, and then we're going to put on someone from the right and hash it out.
1: Don't forget a teabagger. Yeah, so to make it right, to make it fair, fair.
0: balance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then everyone's just lobbying for a position rather than covering an issue. That's They're two different right. things. And mm-hmm. I've, I saw that a lot during this convention that, you know, you just have on Michael Steele and then you have on someone from the Democratic National uh, Senatorial Campaign Committee. <laughs> and yeah. they're both p- professional lobbyists for their party. Yeah. That's what yeah. they are. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get coverage. of it. No. And, and I, I do want to wish Tom Brokaw well. He's had some health problems this week. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and it's got to be very hard to be in your 70s and trying to keep up pace with a convention that goes basically 24 hours for
1: four days. That's why they have retirement time. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really yeah. I, I don't want I don't want ill health for anybody. No. No. Um, but, dude, you are so out of it. You, you're you're well, This take is the
0: thing, and this is the lobbyist. Yeah. You, we talked about this last week as well, about the broaderism. Um But Tom Brokaw really embarrassed himself this week, I thought, before yeah. he fell ill. And um, he, talk about talk about him on The Daily Show, because that was really cool.
1: Because then he re-embarrassed himself. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he embarrassed himself by... This is this is sort of watching. There, there's a there's there's an Einsteinian experiment about testing for gravity. You know that, that gravity bends space, and therefore light should bend with it. And this was always a thought experiment, um, an Einsteinian thought experiment, until I believe a total eclipse took place, and you could see where stellar bodies, or maybe it was Mercury should be and where it appeared to be. And that slight difference between the two proved that space itself was being bent mm-hmm. by the presence of this massive um, in light. gravitational yep, well. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. And, and so I argue, I, I come at this issue from as many different directions as I possibly can, because it's so crippling and so pernicious and so destructive. This, inc- this, this, this dependence, this this narcotic of centrism, that our our political press are addicted to, and as a couple of listeners have have written us, once you start looking for it, it's everywhere, man. It's everywhere. You cannot get away. You can't you can't watch political television or read a political column from a, a mainstream person. From well, a, and let's face very it, John Stewart person.
0: is just as addicted to that as anybody. He,
1: He was. Yeah. He's he's broken that a little bit. But his rally for sanity was such a complete. And that's why he embarrassed himself, because there's this there is this taboo. And it's so deep. I mean, I I never I I, every week I I realize the depths to which very rich, very respected people will sink to avoid stating the obvious truth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And. Brokaw just humiliated himself,
0: yeah, and, and and people booed him on the Daily Show. So, talk he, about he, that. What, ha- what well, he said Paul, and what happened.
1: Paul Ryan um, lied. Mm-hmm. Paul Ryan during his speech in front of 20 million people just fucking lied repeatedly about a number of things. And if you want to know what they are, come to my blog, yeah. and I will. Well, there's lots of blogs talking
0: about that, but yes, he but did.
1: Yeah. Paul Ryan. Let's say. Let us say, for the, the sake of discussion, for the sake of argument, that Paul Ryan objectively lied about several very big, easily checked issues, easily verified, easily looked up issues in front of millions and millions and millions of witnesses. That is a big fucking deal. That is a re especially since that's his reputation, since the Republican party has the the narrative of the Republican party. that They're always trying to fight off. Liberals are always trying to force the media to cover is the Republican party is, is, is as to quote elf, um, which I don't normally do, is built on a throne of lies. It really is just this incredible aggregation of mythology, bigotry, and bullshit that that would collapse with the slightest touch if anyone in the media dared to give it a good, hard push. But nobody does. So they keep getting away with it. They keep upping the ante. Hey, fuck, as I said last week, if you once you've convinced your base to believe anything, why not just lie about everything? And that's what Paul Ryan did. And what Tom Brokaw did was, was strangle himself trying to find a way not to say that Paul Ryan lied. So he said, you're overreached. He really sort of overreached. And that's just, um, you know, that was bad.
0: Well, and, and is, one of the questions that John Stewart asked, because oh, he, and then he went on the Daily was really show. upset about why aren't we calling it lying when it's well,
1: lying. Then, right. then he, that, that's the point. Then he went on the Daily Show. and And now he's got a few days to sort of. You know, get his bearings and stop being, uh, you know, stop channeling David Broder and start. You know, remember, he was once a newsman of some sort, and he goes on the Daily Show and he he shits himself in public a second time because mm-hmm. John Stewart said, you know, and he and he's and it looks like he was trying to crap a birch tree backwards. I mean, he was John Stewart really said, what about this lying?
0: Well, well and not know, only we, what about the line, his other question was about the media, and he showed a clip of Wolf Blitzer saying, well, you know, the fact checkers might have some things to say about this. We expect they will. And John Stewart said, I this really drives me crazy. When and, did the media outsource fact checking?
1: And he, That's and he tried your to job, in, man.
0: That's your job. And here's he tried what, to loop
1: ahead. in Tom Brokaw. He Here. said, doesn't that drive you crazy, too? Mm-hmm. As a journalist, as a serious journalist, doesn't that to be crazy? Well, you know, we it's a very fast medium. It moves at warp speed. And we can't be on this stuff all the time. But, you know, uh, we reviewed it. And we said, you know, I, I said he overreached. Mm-hmm, yeah. And Jon Stewart said, that's the nicest way of saying lying I've ever heard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it looks and Brokaw looked like he'd been slapped yeah. because the one thing you're and this start looking for it if you haven't already start looking for it. the one thing you're never allowed to say on television, you are absolutely going to be fired. And the people who do the firing are the people whose names and contact information we need to know because they're the people who are fucking all this up. If you say the Republicans are wrong and liberals are right, Republicans are wrong and Democrats are right, Republicans are lying and Democrats aren't, you are fired. You're never allowed to have another job at that elite media level ever again. And that's where all those undecided people go to get their opinions. So someone, some group of people are working very, very hard and have been working very hard for decades to make sure that liberals are never given credit for being right and Republicans are never punished for being wrong. And the the monstrous lie they've invented to cover up all their little lies is called centrism.
0: And it's going you, to take a very long time because our first battle is Mitt Romney's tax returns. And yeah. that that has to be the first line. But then I want to know, and I've always wanted to know, um, Tom Friedman, uh, <laughs> the Greenspan family, and yeah. David Gregory. I want to know what their exposure is in the bond market, and I want to know where their war stocks are. Yeah. And that kind of disclosure needs to be out there it's never going yeah. to be but it need we need to assume as we have to with Mitt Romney's taxes that these guys are invested up to the neck in things that they are then arguing for in terms of <laughs> you know we need we can't have all this defense cuts and we need a grand bargain that's their exposure in the bond market talking and we need to say that and of course that's where that's something you'll never hear on Meet the Press <laughs> Oh, I was. also want to take credit, if I may, Drift Glass.
1: You absolutely. You go rock For and roll. Blue
0: preempting the big dog.
1: Yeah. Damn, you 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 beat me again, Blue Gal. <laughs> Damn. Damn, uh, babe. You, Bill, sure, Bill air, you sure you're married, babe? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. A lot of people
0: are oh. having fun with that this week, I tell you. Just
1: just how married are you, darling?
0: Know. <laughs> I'm very married.
1: All right. All right. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, I just preempted Bill Clinton on Medicaid last week. And, said, you know, this is a big deal that they're wanting to cut Medicaid because it hurts seniors. And I'm Mm -hmm. so glad he brought that up. You sort of looked at me and went, wow, (laughs) you were talking about this a week and a half ago. I also, so, you know, Bill Clinton, you're welcome. Um, But I also wanted, I've been doing a little research on Medicaid cuts this week and uh Wanted to say, you know, Paul Ryan, if he doesn't like abortion, he is cutting Medicaid is the worst thing he can do. Uh, mm. I've said this before, but Medicaid covers 54% of the births in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an absolute handout to pro life agenda because it allows women to choose childbirth over abortion based on mm. finances. Yep. Um, an, an abortion costs around $350, depending on where you have it, or about the cost of Michelle Obama's dress, Mr. Sununu. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to bring that up. Um, yeah. And, you know, regular birth with no complications runs about four grand. Yeah. So, you know, now I'm committing arithmetic here. Yeah. <laughs> Publicly. Yeah. And, and, One of the reasons that, and this is another big secret about the abortion issue, a lot of women that have abortions already have a child. Yes. And there is no, we are one of the few, I think we're the only industrialized country that has no national maternal leave program. Yeah. And if you want to reduce the number of abortions in this country, start thinking about maternal leave so that women can afford to take time off of work and still support their families. That's mm-hmm. never going to happen under a Republican administration, but well,
1: or rebuild the middle class to the point where a family can survive on one salary.
0: Income. But well,
1: and know, then the husband or gonna, wife not can that's decide. Never going
0: to happen either. So, but
1: that's not going to happen. So, what can we do? Well, we can make it easier for women because they're the child bearers yeah. to plan their family, yeah, yeah. as if that planning your parenthood is a bad thing. Yeah. And that's you know that's pro life. I also you know, want
0: I also wanted as I've been researching this Medicaid situation to point out to our fellow liberals um, that over the next four or five years Medicaid spending might get shifted around under Obamacare um, because the Affordable Care Act is a huge change in accessibility for health insurance. And I just want everyone to sort of be aware. And you're going to have to get a little wonky about this, but don't react immediately to every change as being a cut in Medicaid. I'm thinking particularly, I was looking at the a pie chart of Medicaid spending, and there's something called ACCA Women on that pie chart, that there's the elderly in nursing homes, there's disabled kids, there's regular healthy kids, and then there's adults, and then there's this little wedge that says ACCA Women. And I went and looked up, what is that? turns out that stands for... Um, It's, uh, oh, excuse me, it's BCCA women, Breast and Cervical Cancer Assistants. And women, apparently this has been going on longer than the Affordable Care Act, poor women who are uh, diagnosed with breast cancer or cervical cancer can get on Medicaid because early treatment and getting into treatment and getting cancer treatment The survivability rates, obviously, are higher. So there has been a program, which is basically a high-risk pool program, folks, of, you know, you've already got cancer. We're going to get you insured immediately. And Mm -hmm. now we have this high-risk pool where if you get cancer, you can buy insurance. And if you have the money, get on an insurance program based on the high-risk pool, which is, again, government insurance. But it's a different program than Medicaid. So, right. uh, And it's more care. It's more coverage. So I, I know I'm being really wonky here, but when you're looking at these kind of things, be aware that expanding coverage might mean we expand it in an area where more people actually pay for their coverage or more people actually um, mm-hmm. get it through their insurance company rather than through Medicaid. And that's not a cut. What,
1: well, let me what just Paul say, Ryan first of all, wants
0: to do with Medicaid is a completely different story.
1: I, I'm so hot for you right now.
0: Thank you, darling.
1: Because smart <laughs> chicks are hot. And this—and really, uh, just so our listeners know, this is the kind of real serious book learning research mm-hmm. that um, Blue Gal certainly does. I try to do, but Blue Gal certainly does every week, every single week. And, and, and then comes the art part of trying to translate it into... A Clintonian yeah. story yeah. that you can talk about at your church or, yeah, or right. at the coffee clatch or in well, the and, carpool. And we way. have a
0: lot of conservative women at my church who are on hellfire against mm. breast cancer. You know, yeah. they do they run for the cancer run and they do the cancer this and it's charity. And it's I go to the cancer ball and do the charity ball and so forth. And they're really excited about trying to help fellow women with breast cancer. That's a big deal. And you can mm-hmm. reach them and say, look. Obamacare actually provides all of this help for women who Mm -hmm. need screening for breast cancer. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and and just to to, to advocate for filthy, lazy government employees, Mm -hmm. there are, because these programs, every kind of social service program domain is complicated. Every single one, because they're written in legislation and they have rules and regulations and they have limitations and they have time limits and they have all kinds of stuff. And... Human beings don't work that way. Mm-hmm. Human beings need what they need when they need it, and they need flexible, adaptable assistance, whether it's with childcare, healthcare, education, training, um, unemployment help, job search, whatever. And there are a there in, in hidden in the unemployment numbers are the staggering number of people who work for the government in mid-range jobs who've been laid off in the last 3 years
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, not just teachers and firemen, but the person who you go to when you have a real serious problem trying to find work or trying to trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do because you're 50 years old and you don't have any skills for the new economy. Mm-hmm. If your system works correctly. Mm-hmm. If your system works incorrectly, you are absolutely bewildered by the number of acronyms and Pockets of money mm-hmm. and different timelines that you have to jump through to get what you need. Yeah. If the system is working, and that's never well, going to change. let's be clear, that's- it's not just what you need. It's right.
0: what the whole economy needs. We Absolutely. need you to be trained yep. so that you can be employed, so yep. that the middle class can be improved, so that the tax base can go up, so that yep. we can get out of debt. It really goes in that direction.
1: But it, 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 first of all, amen to that. That is abs- that is my elevator speech. So thank you. Um, and absolutely true. Every word of it. Absolutely true. But since programs just are that way, they they just there's no other way for them to be other than to be wonky, full of acronyms and lots of. Um, On the ground, they should be called something lofty, like jobs, 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 you dumb son of a bitch. How about Hiring Americans Act in (laughs) in 2013? But on the ground, they're just – that's how government programs work. So what you need is a policy person, a a social service expert, a – programmatic construction expert, a project management expert who knows how to take that confused person who is coming to you at their lowest ebb, who are sick or who are desperate, who are unemployed, and can sit them down and say, look, here's what we'll do. There are five different programs. Don't worry about them. Here's how we stitch them together. This one is geographically limited, but you live in the right area, so we can use that one. This one is limited. This one is called the Trade Adjustment Act. You lost your job because your job was shipped overseas. That applies to you too. We're going to put all these programs together. I'm going to give you a simple, to fo- easy to follow checklist of all the stuff you need to do. Here are all the books you're going to need. I need you to go research three different training programs that interest you and come back in a week. Go to three different local colleges and come back in a weekend. Let's figure out a way for you to get back in the workforce.
0: But that person that, who says that needs to have a job to do
1: that. That person who says that are, is the person who got fired. Yeah. Was laid off yeah. in in vast numbers mm-hmm. over the last three years yeah. because they're dirty government employees and because government revenues went down. Just like and the you guys who write them. the
0: transportation grants and get the contracts for people to build roads, they're all gone Absolutely. in Alabama. So
1: and those people work. Re- Trust me when I tell you, those people work incredibly hard, and they're they're mostly drawn to that field because they want to help people. Yeah. And there is it is obscene. But those people are the people who were, who have been gutted invisibly from the system. And, ha- and so the rest of us are left trying to navigate these bureaucracies and end up, at the end of the day, hating government because yeah. it is confusing. Yeah. What you need is a guide, and those guides have lost their jobs in record numbers, which is a fucking shame.
0: Uh, I want to end our conversation about, which really wasn't that much about the convention, I guess, but huh? – well, it was. It kind of was. <clears throat>
2: <laughs> we right. were about Bill Clinton stories. a lot.
0: Yeah. Uh, I did want to say that Rude Pundit won the Internet this week because ah. he said that Michelle Obama's speech was foreplay and Bill Clinton's speech was the real honest-to-God sex. And mm-hmm. then Obama's speech was the cuddling <laughs> afterwards. It was. And I thought in it terms was. of energy level, that that's yeah. exactly right. And that storytelling arc, as he put it, mm-hmm. uh, really worked. And uh my son, I'm so proud of my son because – and I got retweeted about 170 times about this. But yeah. during Michelle Obama's speech, he turned to me, 13 years old, high-functioning autism. He turns to me and says, Mom, I understand why you're a Democrat. <laughs> yeah. And then last night – again, he's really getting interested in politics, which is fun yeah. – Um uh, he, first of all, he went over to a friend's house last night, and they had on MSNBC, and he <gasps> talked to them about being a Democrat, and they were Democrats, too. So oh. <laughs> that was funny.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then <laughs> during his speech last night, he mm-hmm. said, you know, Mom, I don't think this will ever happen, but I really wish George W. Bush would be the last Republican president. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> amen brother oh, he was just amen adorable. anyway um well it, and i don't think anybody needs to, us to tell them that that michelle obama crushed it
0: oh yeah
2: yeah
1: that the supporting speeches were just spectacular
0: yeah i and want the, two of whatever mm, jennifer granholm is on though
1: because yeah she, but i, I love on fire I love the big sloppy mess that was Joe Biden.
0: Yeah, of course. We all do.
1: Yeah. it, it, it was He was Joe Biden. Joe Biden does the best Joe Biden well, I've and ever I, seen. I walked
0: in at 10 o'clock to watch Obama and I said, Biden's going over, isn't it? <laughs> and he went, yep.
1: That's right. <laughs> uh, and another thing, you sons of bitches, let me tell you about Scranton. God damn it. <laughs> and you either love that or you hate it, but it's absolutely predictable it's, what it's he was going genuine. to be like.
0: Let's say it's Genuine.
1: Yeah, it, absolutely. And Barack Obama's speech reminded me of the sound of heavy logs being dropped into place yep. when you're building a building. Yeah, yep. That that thunk yeah. thunk thunk. Yeah. It was not boring. It I'm was not the
0: president. Boom. I'm
1: the president. And 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 you know what? Times are serious. Yeah. Times are tough. Yeah. We're we're in a we're in a bit of a, a pickle here. We're in we're in some trouble. Yeah. But here's what I want to accomplish. Here's where I want to take us. And he really, as the president, this is, in a sense, this is exactly what you want a president to do. Lead from behind in in a very real sense. He really did. He marshaled his convention to construct a narrative arc that was just incredibly impressive. It, it, you know, um, Edgar Allan Poe talked about using the um, art of poetry, sort of the emotional resonance of poetry in prose. Here's the emotional state I want you to be at. At the end of the first paragraph, second paragraph, third paragraph, you construct a story to take the reader on an emotional journey. Yeah. Yeah. And that is exactly what Barack Obama and team Obama did with the three day period they had to work with. They constructed a very compelling, emotional narrative, policy rich, numbers rich, pro woman, pro democratic you know, loud and proud Democratic. Platform uh, or or, a loud and proud Democratic convention to appeal to the middle class, to say, "Look, this is who we are. Love us or hate us, this is who we are, and this is who they are. And you got to choose because this is up to you." And I I, and compared to the the Republican convention, it was just it was pathetic. Yeah, I mean, it really was just it was masterful, and I.
0: David Korn had a thing on his column at Mother Jones this morning about um, asking journalists to fill in the blank, which is uh, the the Democratic Convention looked like fill in the blank. The Republican Convention looked like fill in the blank. And for the Repo- – I don't remember what he said for the Democratic Convention, but for the Republican Convention, it was looks like a gated community. Yeah. And they've closed yeah. the gate, and it's, it's just us in here now. And, you yeah. know, the gate was wide open at the Democratic National Convention. And when you think about well, how many people at both ends of the economic spectrum think of themselves as middle class uh-huh. and how inclusive that is, that is what this party was about this week. And I'm well, very proud I, of that.
1: I, I dropped in a and, and that is a real, um, a, a real clear and important distinction. I'm very glad you brought that up because I've. I, posted a video from CNN from a few days ago mm-hmm. of of a Tea Party Patriot American head of some organization, Catherine Kremer, oh, yeah. I believe her name yeah. is, who was just... Her,
0: he, her elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. No, I she mean, was just... This, she's not. She, she's not she terrible She I, I hate no. to say that about anybody, but she's just
1: not very bright. Yeah. And, but she's a leader. Yeah, she's a patriot yeah, leader. Yeah. And you just know she's out there leading patriotism against tyranny every day. Mm-hmm. And here's the problem. Here is the, here's the whole problem and, and the clear distinction between the Democratic Convention and the Republican Convention. The entire Republican Convention was devoted to hiding her.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the point. And this and grassroots whole, anger that's there in the Republican Party is very real. And, and when this uh, election is over and they've lost, they're going to have yeah. a big, huge argument that the reason we lost is we weren't conservative enough and we didn't pay attention to our freakishly crazy... Base. Right.
1: And to crazy people, more, even
0: Double down on the crazy because you and didn't do what, it enough. Yeah, that's, that's what be the Twitter
1: argument. really. Well, that's what Twitter really gave you if you were looking for it. Yeah. Is yeah. the Republican convention was designed to camouflage who the Republican Party really Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And it kept both in terms through. of people and in terms of policy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And they, this is a party of, of fundamentally science-hating bigots.
0: White and all white, and and putting all, all of white. the people from Mer- from the islands, you know, in the front seats didn't yeah. hide that. Yeah, yeah, no.
1: yeah. And and the, you know the 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 whitewash they're using, or as I I, I wrote in 2006, the, the the coolant they're using on this on this incredibly um, overwrought nuclear reactor mm-hmm. has is gone. The coolant's all gone. They're melting down in front of everyone, and everyone in the party from the dynamic Rens Priebus – <laughs> to the, the affable Michael Steele is devoted to saying, please don't look at what's going on. Look at the Negro over there and his welfare stuff. And then you realize, oh, my God, even the camouflage they're using to hide their bigotry is fucking bigoted. Yeah. They can't stop doing it. They, they really are. They don't have any of the vocabulary other than the vocabulary they have used to talk to their own crazy base anymore. The Democratic Convention, whatever you think of it, was devoted to showing people what the Democratic Party looks like. You know, here's women, here's abortion, here's the middle class, here are a bunch of black people. Here are all the issues that we believe in. And that was what was so shocking about it. It really put front and center LGBT people and their issues, military families and their issues. I mean, imagine this is the convention where the Democratic Party seized 9-11 from the Republican Party.
0: Well, now I want to tear off a little bit of the um, what did you call it? Camouflage, camouflage on the Democratic National Convention because there was a little bit of it there.
2: Oh yeah. And,
0: oh no no. And this, I, is, and this is where Twitter comes into because I was watching my Twitter stream during Obama's speech last night, as I said, and then I kind of turned it off because it was just getting too noisy. Yeah. But there were people on Twitter on my on my Twitter stream getting really upset about Simpson Bowles and sure. getting still making the case against drones. And I think at first I was thinking, well, you know, are they shitting in the punch bowl? Are they, you know, is, is this the right approach to take during this speech? Is this really going to help? And I thought, no, this this is us being principled, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and we're going to continue to say these things about this president because this is an honest uh, party. This is a place where we have the freedom to say what's right.
1: It's a real fight.
0: It is a real fight, and we're going to continue to fight on those things and and get ready for it. Um, although I do think it's also important to remember that right now Simpson Bowles is face down in Gloria Swanson's pool, you yeah, know, yeah. and yeah. sort of have a little bit of perspective on that, even though Obama and Tom Friedman are saying otherwise. Yeah. Uh, just kind of watch it, but don't lose your mind at this point, because it really it's it's not going to pass at this point. Um, mm-hmm.
1: and speaking, well, you, I did, did
0: you... I did unfollow Amer- Amanda Marcotte this week, yeah. and I wanted to talk about that, not to concern mm-hmm. troll her or no. get uh start any kind of battle because I'm not going to have a battle with her. But I just no. I, I'm the kind of person who you know don't fight flee flow, and if you can't flow, flee, and the power mm-hmm. of away from. Um. Amanda Marcotte had some very harsh things to say about religious conversations in the platform, and this whole thing about God in the platform was bullshit. And I totally believe that. And um, you know, we're we're once again sucking up to Hannity when we get upset about these things and and start start kowtowing and pandering to God talk when. You know, I'm a religious person who also runs the blog against theocracy blog swarm right. every year. So right. uh,
1: And you are, you know, twi- by religious you mean volunteer at church two days a week. Yep. Church every weekend. I was liturgist in
0: church five times this week. Yeah. yeah. Either taking kids do, over there for the, activities or doing something myself.
1: Yeah. And it's You're the liturgist yeah. um some weeks. Yeah. Um, And and I am and I'm a divinity
0: school graduate, so I mean this is a part of my life. So, Mm -hmm. um, but uh, first of all, if I have to consider in reading your Twitter stream whether or not you're drunk, (laughs) that's something I don't want to have to judge. I just that bothers me. Um, But there's another issue I have uh, about. Uh, anyone who's kind of really noisy and angry and hateful on Twitter and for any reason, and that is I miss an opportunity to find common ground with people. And I happen to believe that God loves atheists best, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But um, we got a letter a couple of weeks ago from a guy named Michael, and I love that his name is Michael because Michael is the angel in the uh, kick-ass angel <laughs> in Revelation
1: who Be- – Archangel he, angel. He
0: punches Satan in the balls. Yes he does. Yeah. He's not yes, he does. Uh, he's not gentle and and feathery. He's he's no. a warrior angel.
1: He's no, I'm with the band. You
0: know? <laughs> he's that guy with the I, tattoos. He's on
1: He's on staff. He doesn't need to go to church. He's on
0: staff. Yeah. He he so that's kind of funny. But uh, I got we got a letter from him and I wanted to read it to you and my response because we had a very mm-hmm. nice exchange. And he writes, uh, I notice you sometimes talk about you being a churchgoer. Have you read the New Testament? Of course, Mark mm-hmm. wrote in 70 A.D., and Matthew, Luke, and John wrote around 20 years after Mark. Mark never claimed to have seen Jesus. Yep. I leave you with Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Matthew said that Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them, which is the mm-hmm. Old Testament. My question is, do you really believe this Jesus myth when no one that wrote about him ever met him? Other than your religious stance, I do love your show. Yeah. Thank you very much. I wrote back to him and I said, hey, Michael, thanks so much for writing. I have to admit, I'm an extraordinarily liberal Christian. I don't necessarily take the Bible as an accurate historical document. That's heresy to some of my fellow churchgoers, but hey. Driftglass and I actually play a game called Bible Bitch. (laughs) We do, don't we? PG-13. Let's just be
1: clear about that.
0: Bible Bitch, where Driftglass will say something, and I scrunch up my nose and shriek, that's not scriptural. (laughs) (laughs) There is room in all religions to take them as inspiration to live a better life and make the world a better place. In my heart, I consider myself a Quaker, and I consider the Bible to be what Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of the Christian Science Church, called a sufficient guide. That doesn't mean infallibility or inerrant fact, just sufficient. Mm -hmm. The church I attend is the United Methodist Church with emphasis on the social justice and care for the poor part of the Bible. And uh, by the way, United Methodist Church is quickly becoming a welcoming place for gays as certain people in the church die off. I hate to put it that way, but it's a very generational evolution that's happening within the church.
2: Indeed.
0: Um, Driftglass and I are now reading out loud, bitches, <laughs> the message, which is the Bible translated into really and truly modern language. I had no idea there were so many prostitutes in the Bible. It's unbelievable because the author of this translation translates prostitute as prostitute. So yeah. when you yeah. start to read it and every other every other verse is prostitute, you sort of get it.
2: Oh, oh I see. Oh, they're talking
0: about prostitutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks for writing. I really appreciate your kind words and thinking approach. We are, quote, unquote, blessed to have listeners like you. Ha ha. Yeah. And by the way, my personal theology says God loves good-hearted atheists best because they are the children who grew up and moved out, keeping virtue with neither the carrot nor the stick of religion. At the very least, they'll have the best tables at heaven's cocktail party. Yeah. Cheers, blue gal. Yeah. And he wrote me back right away and said, Well, now I feel bad because you were so nice when I criticized you. Okay, I agree with what you've said. Thanks for responding. I was amazed when I received your email. Who responds to people that are critical of them? You're one in a million, yeah. and my answer to that question is Christians.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, the, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be following that Jesus dude very carefully if I didn't bless those that curse me, right? So mm-hmm. we had, I felt like, and he signed it your friend, and I said, yeah, I'm really glad we're yeah. friends, and we we get along. We'll work on it. Yeah. And this is why I was I, I unfollowed Amanda Marcotte, because she freaked out over the nuns on the bus on Wednesday. Yeah. And this righteous atheism that says, you know, we have to hate the nuns on the bus because they believe in the Sky Fairy. Mm-hmm. And particularly her comment that the nuns on the bus aren't doing anything about patriarchy. That just was... Oh, wow. <laughs> really? Really, yeah. Amanda? Is that is that where you're at? Because um, that's kind of not where I'm at with those nuns on the bus. I think from where they're standing, they're doing quite a bit about patriarchy. Um, yeah. They're the real leaders of the church. I mean, frankly, screw the Pope, the people on well, the ground there's... who are changing the world.
1: They're not carrying the water you want them to carry in the way you want them to yeah, carry. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. They're not doing that. They're
0: not going to do that. And, and so I, I was kind of writing this up. And as I said, all I did, I didn't start a Twitter war with her. I didn't, you know, I, I emailed the person that brought it to my attention and said, wow, she needs to get off her fucking high horse. And I was mad. But I didn't start a Twitter war with her. I just unfollowed her. And, uh, thinking about it more, I thought, you know, it really is important also to bring up the issue with ath- with noisy atheists. And, and there are, believe me, I get it, <laughs> that there mm-hmm. are a higher percentage of assholes among the Christian population than there are among the atheist population. I totally yeah. give that to everyone. Yes, yes that is true. Um, but with this with this noisy atheism, there is an issue of white privilege, and we need to bring that up. Because needing to be right about the Sky Fairy versus the Flying Spaghetti Mm -hmm. Monster, um, you're really ignoring the religious motivation in social justice movements like civil rights, like liberation movements in Central America. And let's not forget that in Central America, nuns got tortured and assassinated for standing up for poor people, for standing up for poor people.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The migrant workers movement is deeply religious.
1: The civil rights movement in this yeah, country. In this
0: country. I mean, it was the Reverend religious. Martin Luther King. Don't forget. Right, because
1: there's no other place for, for them, them to, to organize go. than the church.
0: Exactly. You know, and I mean, no
1: other narrative that bound them all together yeah. than the narrative of, of Moses. Absolutely.
0: Really. And, and for mm-hmm. some slaves who died in slavery, Jesus is all they had and all they ever would have. And how dare you take that away from them? Exactly. Um, and that's. Shame on you. Don't call well, that's yourself hard, a liberal if that's what you're doing.
1: Um and that's hard to deal with when you're when you know when all you are is your atheism. Well and yeah, when, it's, when you're it's atheism, a hyper
0: cool Brooklyn intellectual sensibility that right. wants to be right rather than kind. And, and I when, when, no your, particular, game, now I'm getting when
1: your particular brand of atheism <laughs> is contempt for anyone who has faith yeah, at all. Yeah. Which is not atheist. That's yeah. one particular yeah. slice yeah. of it. Yeah, that's
0: right. That's right.
1: But it's you know, it is um I think that part of the problem is also the Mensa meeting problem, the first Mensa meeting problem when it comes to Christians and atheists. If the first person you meet at your first Mensa meeting is the big sweaty guy with the B.O. problem <laughs> who has food in his beard and a, and a million buttons on his chest, who wants to hug he you right hug now. You. I, you, I was friend. glad you
0: were going to mention that.
1: A, uh, it's a hugging party. Your, oh, no. Then uh-huh. maybe your opinion of, of Mensa is not going to be as uh, generous. Yeah. Yeah. As if that big, I see, we gotta sweaty... we got to stop
0: now because you're talking Mensa, and that's not fair.
1: That is <laughs> totally unfair. I'm just saying it. Um, the person you meet at the door often influences your opinion of the organization.
0: My Mensa card and is secondly, hanging above the kitchen sink <laughs> where I do like, dishes. It's like, oh, I'm I, in Mensa. Oh, boy.
1: Oh, that's right. I forgot. I, I was forgot. In
0: Mensa. I'm in Mensa.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, and the second thing I wanted to mention was... There's a very big difference between memorizing the Bible and studying scripture. Yeah. In my, I, in my long and itinerant education that wandered all over the place, I spent several semesters <clears throat> with the Jesuits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I was fascinated. They knew how to make, these people are believers, man. These are friggin' believers. And the, the time we spent studying the, the chiastic structure of Mark. And why the basic story structure of, of A B C B A of every lesson is indicative of a narrative that developed around a place where you had to remember everything. Yep. Yep. So we constructed each lesson in a way that was mnemonically friendly, and,
0: that and then at the you end of, be a writer. I mean, oh, yeah. so
1: these are the collected stories. This is this is the collected folklore of of what's going on in the most memorable format. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then you get to later books. Oh, this is written for an audience of, of people outside of the cult. Yep. Oh, this is written for the um this is written for the Gentiles. Yeah. Or this is and written that's for why, the intelligentsia
0: this as John
1: is. and this mean, is writ- John
0: is written for Greek intelligentsia. Yeah. You know
1: And this is written, they're have philosophy written, in there. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're writing apocalyptic, which you know, revelatory stuff, there's a lot of apocalyptic revelatory stuff in the Old Testament. Yeah. It's a particular form of Jewish writing. It's what you, it's how you write when you are under someone else's tyrannical thumb Mm -hmm. and you can't write literal sentences about why Caesar is an asshole. Mm -hmm. So you have to encrypt everything and the way you do that is you do callbacks to previous prophets. You can't say Jesus is thus and so, but you put Jesus in Egypt to make sure he remind people he's sort of like Joseph. Yeah. He's sort of like Moses. Yep. Not because those things literally happen, but because you want to tell people he's a prophet in the tradition of but I can't say that out loud because the Romans will chop my fucking head yep. off. Right, right. Once you
0: understand And you start understanding I'm, it to that depth it it oh, has a different kind of meaning than be, i think people who take the bible literally are missing so much they <laughs> they are.
1: They really it's, are. it's so much of a rich once you contextualize it to a particular part of the world at a particular time in history and understand the audiences that were being trying to, that they were trying to reach yeah. and why stories were constructed in the way they were constructed and the way that certain structures are out of order. Geographically, Mm -hmm. when you lay it out on a map, it doesn't make any sense for Jesus, unless he has a a friggin' TARDIS, to be hopping from here to here to here to here. All right, I'm out.
0: (laughs) Jesus and the TARDIS. We'll do a Photoshop later this afternoon.
1: (laughs) If you take this story and restructure it.
0: You know, I can see a Divinity School dissertation on Doctor Who as Christ figure, colon... (laughs) <laughs> A study in contrasts and similarities.
1: So, what was your PhD in? <laughs> I'd rather, not <laughs> but but if you, I mean, I mean, this is just to say that. I was studying with the Jesuits, and and yeah. they were the ones who were saying, "Look, this story doesn't make any goddamn geographic sense unless you understand it's out of order."
0: And it's and that it's Jesus for talks. the people who are looking at it, not for the people yeah. who are
1: writing it. Yeah. And the people who edited it simply didn't have a map in front of them. They didn't understand that this city is next to this well, city yeah. is next to this.
0: And a lot of them didn't think the world was round. So I mean, no.
1: and get but real. when you're a literalist, <laughs> yeah. when you're a literalist, you're not allowed to say that the fucking story is out of order yeah. because that would mean it's not God is divine. more
0: than 7000 years old. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, and it's... so when you study those things as historical documents, as creation myth, as moral fables set in a particular place in time, but in, but containing truths for all time, that's what makes it divine. That's what makes it revelatory. Then it's so much a, more of a rich experience. But if the person you meet at the door is the big sweaty guy with the food in his beard who yeah. wants to hug you? Yeah. Then you're not going to notice. that's you're never going to come to the back of the room where, where me and Blue Gal are sitting. Yeah, and that's a shame.
0: That is a shame because we want to talk. You want to talk
1: about? Yeah. You want to talk about David Brooks for a minute or move on?
0: What? How many? Where are we? Hold on a minute.
1: We've been talking for about four hours.
0: <laughs> An hour and ten minutes. Go ahead. Tell me about David All Brooks.
1: Right. Well, this is about this is about camouflage. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a post about it today, um, and the subtitle is, David Brooks talks about his magic black friend.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, There are two distinct, and and I'm going to be very clear about this, there's two distinct forms of racism going on on the right. Um, One is very, and, and right, and the reasonable center. The one form is very clear. Clint Eastwood yelling at an invisible black president. Yeah. Yeah. Literally render, and, and Melissa Harris Perry did a wonderful riff on this last week. Literally rendering the black man invisible, putting him in a subordinate position, and then ranting at him for all of his supposed crimes against your country that you own is straight up, you know, crazy Uncle Liberty email, the angry white bigot thinking. You know, I looked at Clint Eastwood, I saw a pathetic figure. Um, embarrassing himself in public. But I believe a whole lot of right-wingers saw saw Dirty Harry giving it to the man. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck him, man. That kind of overt hatred of the black president for being the black president, but you can't say it out loud, is is right there on the surface. And that's what, you know, uh, like, I, I, I've, I've mentioned before probably, my email runs from conservatives that I see on a regular basis, runs about 50-50, People who are who call Michelle Obama Muchella, who talk about welfare and send pictures of Barack Obama with a bone through his nose, and the other half that complains bitterly that liberals keep insisting that we're racist, and where do they ever get that crazy idea from? And it, that kind of schizophrenia, that kind of deep denial, that powers the GOP. But there is another form of racism, and it's called the magic Negro or the magic black friend, and. It's summed up in David Brooks's centrist argument against about why this convention was a failure for him. I'm going to give you one quick quote. President Obama has the intelligence, the dexterity, and the sense of balance to navigate these cross-cutting challenges, but he apparently lacks the creativity to break out of the partisan categories the trench warfare gridlock. Got that? Yeah, yeah. It is Barack Obama's responsibility to summon the capacity to magically force people who are – because David Brooks can't just say the Republican Party is crazy. He's fired the next day if he says that. It violates his – it is fiscally and psychologically impossible for, for David Brooks, who is a congenital liar, to get up and recognize what's obvious, which is the problem with our political system is one of the parties is crazy. And they are absolutely intractably devoted to gridlock and obstruction, period, end of sentence. He can't say that. So he has to invent a mythology where Barack Obama is actually responsible for the fact that the crazy white party won't give him what he needs, what he wants, what he was elected to do, and just and tells him, fuck you to his face. And that is the magic Negro theory. And the magic Negro, I'm quoting here from Wikipedia, it serves as a plot device to help the protagonists get out of the trouble typically through helping the white character to recognize his own faults and overcome them. Although he has magical powers, his, quote, magic is ostensibly directed towards helping and enlightening though a white male character. These powers are used to save and transform disheveled, uncultured, lost or broken whites, almost exclusively white men, into competent, successful and content and content people within the context of the American myth of redemption and salvation. It is the feature of the magical Negro that some people find most troubling. Because what it does, and I'm breaking away from Wikipedia now, mm-hmm. because it dehumanizes yeah. and objectifies blacks in exactly the same way, black people in exactly the same way Clinton Eastwood did. It turns them into objects. But in this case, the, the Barack Obama's job on this earth, according to David Brooks, is to magically redeem and transform his own party so it stops behaving like it's behaving.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not David Brooks's job to call attention to the fact that, that he is that his party are racists and lunatics and fundamentalists. That's not his job. It's his job to chide Barack Obama for not successfully redeeming them. Because yeah. that's the job yeah. of the magic Negro. Mm-hmm. And that is every bit as racist. But it's a slicker, silkier, more upscale, more centrist, more um gated community kind of racism that you can talk about at cocktail parties than is Clint Eastwood's angry old white guy raging at an empty chair racism. But it's the same goddamn thing, and it's what powers the Republican Party. Because for all of of the base appeals that are being made about welfare, 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 they still got to get that sliver in the middle to vote for them. And the only way to do that is to have David Brooks... Come out with his pastel shirt and his teary face and say more in sorrow than in anger that Barack Obama is just a disappointment. He wasn't able to transform our political system into what I think it should be. And that's where he fails. And that's why I can't vote for him. And that is racism, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's got perfume on it and it lives in a big house in an exclusive suburb. But it's every bit as goddamn racist. It's Clint Eastwood screaming at an empty chair.
0: Thank you. You're <laughs> you can listen to our podcast for free anytime you want at our website professionalleft.blogspot.com or at our Facebook page. I'm Francis Langham on Facebook. We're on iTunes and through our fabulous app available at the iTunes Store. We're on the amazing Stitcher Radio and we are on Netroots Radio from six to seven Pacific, nine to ten Eastern at NetrootsRadio.blogspot.com. Please contribute to our podcast, and again, thank you everyone who contributed to Driftglass last week or contributed to our podcast by giving us a tip last week. We really appreciate those $5 contributions or more if you can make it. Uh, There's a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter or a contribution at our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. And I don't think it's September now. I don't think it's too early to remind people that over Thanksgiving weekend – is our traditional letters show where we read, yes. we again read your letters on the air. We did that over the summer as well. But over Thanksgiving weekend, we do a nice long podcast where we read your letters on the air. So,
1: oh my God, Bluegell, consider that we now have traditions.
0: Yay, and we are yay. aware of those podcast traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, our email address again is proleftpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to write us anytime. We love hearing from you every week. We publish at our website and at our Facebook page at Internet Kitty. This week's Internet Kitty is called Glamour Puss. And let me tell you, if Bill Clinton was a cat. Yeah. <laughs> what would he be saying to Glamour Puss, Drift Glass? Hey,
1: baby. Hey, just how married are you? <laughs> you come here often? Yeah, you're looking good, honey. You're Suffice looking Suffice it damn to good. say,
0: Glamour mm-hmm. Puss lives up to her name. <laughs> And you can visit Glamour Post at our website, professional or at our Facebook page. We will have her up today. Feel free to write us, and be aware that if you write us at either our email or P.O. Box address, we reserve the right to read your email on the air, unless you say otherwise. So, Drift Glass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week?
1: Well, Blue Galley, Internet Kitties have known for years that you just don't mess with the big dog. Let's
3: think think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, dovey Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about
1: life.
0: This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2012, Drift Class Blue Gal Podcast.
1: I'm sorry. My brain just shut down That's after okay. That. Well, it's time.
0: <laughs> it's time to All shut right. down the brain.
1: You're you going to attack... Um, Middle Child's narrative on the end of it?
0: Well, you know, (laughs) I guess one of the things I do want to make sure I say on the podcast is that, because you mentioned studying the Bible as literature, that Uh the King James Version of the Bible is part of being a literate person, as is is Shakespeare. It always has been, And we were awakened by Middle Child this week.
1: Yes. Who came and jumped in the bed.
0: She jumped in our bed and she said this.
3: shadows have offended think but this and all is mended that you have but slumbered here wow these visions did appear and this weak and idle theme no more yielding but a dream gentles do not reprehend that was my part if you pardon we will mend. And as I am an honest puck, if we have unearned luck, now to skate the serpent's tongue, we will make amends ere long. So give me your hands if we be friends, and Robin shall restore amends. And I had three and a half days to memorize that. It would have been unearned, but unearned, Shakespeare always wrote it with the same, um. Beat.
0: Iambic pentameter. Da 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 da
3: da da. Whatever that means. Okay. Okay. Whatever that means. Mm -hmm. But, um, so, unearned. Right. You have
2: to put an extra syllable
3: in. Unearned luck. Obvious.